Oh, man. Leading God's people in worship, a little child shall lead them. So, so grateful. Uh, Thank you uh, as a church investing in the next generation. I don't think a church will ever regret any amount of investment of time or resources or anything in the next generation. And uh, I'm grateful, and I want to say this in front of everybody, what what a blessing we have in Rebecca Mickle, our preschool and children's minister, and so grateful for her. And... (laughs) Oh, the only, the only thing about that program, the only thing is that first song has been stuck in my head all week long. As my kids have been practicing that, I can't, crazy people, crazy people, crazy. And I'm starting to think, this is what crazy people do. They, they sing over and over, God's crazy people. I know there's some kids in here. I'm curious, kids, uh, uh, do you, are you sitting next to any crazy people? Everybody point to the craziest person on your row. Let's find out. Oh, oh, you just admitted. Okay, great, yeah. I want to preach this morning from the theme of crazy. Crazy is a great English word, and what makes that song work is that it plays on the many shades of meaning the word crazy can have. Crazy is most often an adjective. Insane, kooky, mad, nuts, nutty, silly, wacky, absurd, bizarre, foolish, goofy, ludicrous, odd, outrageous, preposterous, ridiculous, strange, weird, hysterical, right? Normally it's an adjective. But it's also, in English, frequently used as an adverb. I'll give you an example. I am crazy hungry. That movie was crazy funny. Yo, that sermon was crazy long. (laughs) My favorite is as a noun. Oh, no, 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 no. With the drama? No. Don't bring that crazy in here, okay? But let's, for this sermon, let's keep it. If crazy means out of the ordinary or unusual or just flat out doesn't make sense, then that's exactly what happens in Matthew chapter 9. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 9, and what happens in Matthew 9 is crazy. It's, it's unusual. It's out of the box. It doesn't make any sense. It's unlikely. You would never see it coming. It is the story of the calling of a disciple named Matthew who wrote obviously this gospel. Now, we get lots of details earlier about in Matthew 4, he called some fishermen, James and John and, 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 and uh, Peter and Andrew. Uh, and then later we'll get a full list of disciples. But Matthew doesn't give us a whole lot of details about his own call. I think it's because he wants us to focus on the outrageous nature of this call. And here's how we're going to walk through the text. Matthew 9, starting in verse 9, and we're going to walk through it with this sentence. This is the main point of the text. You ready? Jesus invites crazy people who invite all their crazy friends into God's crazy love. Got it? Jesus invites crazy people who invite all their crazy friends into God's crazy love. And I don't know whether to give crazy love, should I give credit to Francis Chan or Van Morrison. Either way, we'll take it one at a time. Let's walk through the text. Jesus invites crazy people. Let's start there. Jesus First, Jesus invites crazy people. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. I'm sorry, what? Jesus called who? Matthew. Yeah, his Hebrew name was Levi. So if you see him in the other Gospels as Levi, it's the same name. Uh, Matthias is, is probably went by his Greek name, Levi, his Hebrew name. And where was he sitting? 
at the tax booth, y'all. That means he was a tax collector. If you know anything about the cultural temperature of the day, uh, you know that this was not a well-liked individual. It's not like our culture today. Now, we live in a free country, and of course, we're all allowed to complain about taxes. And no, I did not plan this sermon for April 16th. It's just every now and then, God gives you a freebie as a preacher, and you just take them, and you, and you say thank you. So we're all allowed to complain, but most folks understand we complain about it, but that's the price you pay for a free country. I like things like interstates. I like, you know, uh, armies to protect. I, I, so, I, you know, I, I get it, right? We complain about it, but we pay it and move on. But the, but the Jewish people were not. That's just it. They were not in a free country. They were not free. They were under Roman oppression, and Rome collected taxes in a way that invited corruption. They would bid out. Okay, you think you can get 20% tax? Somebody else would bid and say, I think I can get 30%. I think I can get 40%. And whatever they collected, anything they could, a tax collector could collect on top of that, he would just skim as his own profit margin. Well, you see how that would invite corruption. So Matthew would not have been well-liked. And there was layers to this. It was a hated profession because every time you walked past that tax collector's booth, can you imagine Matthew there in the tax collector's booth? Every time you walked by, it was a symbol right in your face of Roman oppression. These people own you. You're not free. And even the coins, they had the image of Caesar, and Caesar claimed to be God. You know what that is? That's a graven image. You got Caesar who claims to be God graven on a coin. That's an idol. And as a, a, a Jew, you're forced to break that. You're forced to walk around with a portable idol in your pocket. Oh, constant reminder of Rome's oppression. Making matters worse. Come on, Matthew. Matthew's Jewish. That means he's a traitor to his, to his own. He, he sold out to Rome. For what? For money. And you know, and, and you notice where he is. He's in Capernaum. He, he's there by the, by the Sea of Galilee. So do you know, one, import, export, right? They tax all sorts of things. But one of the key taxes would have been on fishermen. So the, we have every reason to suspect some people who really didn't like him were named James and John and Peter and Andrew. Can you imagine working your fingers to the bone all night long? Night, overnight work is tough. Science has proven how much, how much more difficult. Our bodies get out of that circadian rhythm we're supposed to be in and all that stuff. So you have night work. You work all night to fish. And after, as soon as you sell those fish and make that profit, the first stop you have to make is to Matthew's tax collector booth to give away your hard-earned money to know that it's going to Rome and to line his own pockets. So the fishermen were not big fans of Matthew at all. And he, he just doesn't belong in this group. You imagine when Jesus stopped, he, he's, he's followed by some, some he's, he's gathered his disciples, and when he sees Matthew come follow me, they're thinking, oh no, no. In fact, one of the disciples is named, you, you remember, the, he gets a nickname. He's called Simon the Zealot. Do you understand about Simon the Zealot? Do you know what a zealot was? A zealot was a member of an ultra-right conservative group called the Sicarii. They got their name because of the Sicae, the Roman name for a little dagger. The Sicarii would carry daggers inside their cloaks because Rome has to go down. And the way to take Rome down is they, would, they, would, they were not afraid to assassinate Roman agents, which means they would, in a big crowd, get up next to a tax collector, pull out that little dagger, make an assassination, and slip off in the crowd while this man uh, bleeds out to take down Rome one tax collector at a time. Simon the Zealot, Jesus calls as a disciple, and then he calls Matthew. <laughs> Can you imagine? 
Everybody, all the other disciples are like, no, we don't want him. Simon the Zealot's like, no, let him come. Right? What, what's my point? This is crazy. This is unlikely. This is, Matthew is the most unlikely of disciples. And notice the timing of the call. He does not say, Matthew, once you repent of your tax collecting and once you're found in a better place and position in life, get your life together and then maybe, just maybe, you can follow me. Is that what he says? Does he say, Matthew, I'll give you a six-month probationary period, and if you can stop sinning for six months, then maybe you can follow me. Does he say, get cleaned up, get baptized, get, get your life together, give back all your stolen money, and then once you get cleaned up, then you come follow me. No. He looked at him, and while he was sitting in his sin, while he was sitting at the tax collector's booth, he said, come follow me. Oh, aren't you glad? that Jesus didn't wait for you to clean your life up before he loved you. Aren't you glad of the good news of the gospel that doesn't say, hey, here's a probationary period. Prove you've, prove you've got your stuff together, and then and only then you can come follow me. Aren't you glad you know Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved Matt. He loved Matthew in the midst of that sin. He loved him. And so when he said, follow me, Matthew did. Matthew had no doubt encountered Jesus. Maybe he had seen the healing of the paralytic lowered through the roof or heard Jesus teaching. But when he got that call, he rose and followed him. And he thought, this is crazy. He leaves all that wealth, all that prestige. It's crazy. Exactly. Jesus calls crazy people. Now, what does Matthew's story have to do with us? Matthew is a picture, isn't he? of all of us. Isn't he? There is no reason Jesus should have picked Matthew. In fact, there were lots of reasons he shouldn't have picked Matthew. Can I ask you something? What were the reasons Jesus should have picked you? Do you have any? Do, do, I mean, do you have any reason to believe that God is lucky to have a person like you on his team? <laughs> Did you do God a favor by signing the NIL transfer portal to go to Team God and leave behind team sin. Huh? What, did, did, no. The whole Bible proclaims. Remember, church, this whole thing, Christianity, this whole thing, a church is not a group of the good people. It's a group of the rescued people. All we did was get lost. And so if there's any boasting around here, if there's any bragging around here, there's going to be only one thing to boast in. We boast in our Savior, Jesus Christ. He was our rescuer, see? First Corinthians says this very same thing. I'll just, real quick, I'll just put up some verses from First Corinthians see if this, to see if this isn't exactly what we're talking about. First Corinthians 1, 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not, were of no, not many were of noble birth. But, so you had no, no, nothing of your own that God would say, oh yeah, you're a likely candidate. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human might boast in the presence of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, it didn't mean you passed some test. Can you imagine if you had to pass your all-Christian and pure exam? And once you pass your all-Christian and pure exam, you know, your A-C-A-P, your A-CAP, all-Christian and pure, once you get through that, then and only then, come on, who of us would stand? That's why, by the way, no matter what happens in your life and in my life and in the life of this church, 
Uh, Christians are not afraid to face up. Jesus said, we will suffer. But no matter what suffering comes, there will always, this church will always, if you say, what, what do you want your ministry to be marked by? It would be the word joy. In the back of our minds, there needs to be this joy that I still can't get over the fact that he saved me. Don't ever get over your salvation. That's all I'm trying to say. Don't ever get over how fortunate we are to go from being under the wrath of God to being under the grace of God. And if you're here today and you're hearing me and you're, you've never transferred your trust, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, he invites you today. Don't ever get over that. Do you know what Matthew did here? To me, this is so incredible. Did you know the Dutch painter Rembrandt? He painted lots of pictures of the crucifixion. Did you know that in one of the pictures of the crucifixion, if you look closely in the crowd, you see the soldiers, you see uh, the, 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 the Jesus' uh, mother, you, you see the, the different uh, people, and there in the crowd, you can't figure out who this one person is. It's, it's, it's Rembrandt. He painted himself into the picture as if to say, it was me. My sins were part of the crowd that yelled, crucify him. Do you remember the movie Passion of the Christ? Here's a little Easter egg for you, a little fun fact you may not know. The producer of the movie Passion of the Christ put himself in the movie. He, he, his are the hands that drive the nail into his feet. As if to say, if I'd been there, I wouldn't have been the one to support Jesus. And I wouldn't have been the one to say, I'll die with Jesus. You guys are all wrong. We need to defend Jesus. I would have been the one driving the nails. I'm guilty before a holy God. And so I've never gotten over the fact that he called sinner. He called sinners to repentance, to follow him. So in a way, Matthew writing this story is just like Rembrandt writing himself into that painting. Matthew's saying, I'm not ashamed to tell you what I was. And he saved me. And I don't think Matthew ever got over that. So what does he do? Well, look at the next verse. Verse 10, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house. Now this is jarring. He says, come follow me. And now we're at some house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So apparently all went to a party with lots of tax collectors and sinners. But Matthew just says the house. He doesn't specify whose house or which house. Probably because he was being modest. Thankfully, Mark and Luke tell you exactly whose house it was. In fact, Luke goes so far to say, not only I can tell you whose house it was, but I can tell you he spent some coin on this party. It says he threw a great banquet. He tells you it was Matthew's house. So Matthew just says the house. Of course, I guess we do that too, don't we, when we talk about our house. I'm headed to the house. <laughs> That's okay. That's what Matthew's saying. It was at the house. Yeah, but it was at, it was at Matthew's house. He threw a great banquet. I love this. Matthew has been a follower of Jesus for like minutes, and he's already an evangelist. He's already, I love it. He doesn't say to other tax collectors and sinners, he doesn't say, guys, you gotta come with me to synagogue, because <laughs> he knows they ain't coming. But he knows they will never come to a synagogue in a million years, but they will come to a barbecue. So what does he do? He goes to Publix. He fires up the grill. He goes back to Publix. He goes to Costco. He goes to Walmart. He even scrubs the guest bathroom toilet. You know what I mean? He gets the place ready. And he sets his table so that everybody, all his friends, can now encounter his new Savior, Jesus. Isn't that great? Jesus invites crazy people who do what? Who go invite all their crazy friends. It's evangelism. 
Don't you love this? Jesus fills Matthew with love, and they realize they were loved, and immediately they want everybody to know. And who was welcome at Matthew's table? More like who wasn't welcome? (laughs) Every low-life sinner friend of Matthew, the, the only people that wanted to be around Matthew. Now, tax collectors and sinners, is you have to understand, that's sort of, shorthand in the gospels uh, for like those that society looks down upon morally. Matthew was the kind of person they could feel comfortable around, but honestly, everyone else made him feel judged. And if you had said to the tax collectors and sinners, I'll leave it to you to apply who this is in 2023, but there's a group of people in Jesus' day called tax collectors and sinners who if you said, hey, why don't you come to church, they would literally say, why would they want, they don't want me there. There is still, and doesn't it break God's heart that there are still groups of people who when you say God loves you, why don't you come to church, their first reaction is, they don't want me there. So Matthew says, fine. Then don't come to church. Come to my table. I'll spread a table. Maybe, maybe we should do that. You know, I, I think it's so good we invite people to church, but you... You, Jesus says, you are my witnesses. Just spread a table. Tell them what God has done in your life. And for somebody who won't go to church, make them realize what Jesus did. You know, the religious system of Jesus' day made God feel so unavailable. But when Jesus was eating with them, it was like God was in their midst. Religious people would be pretty thrown off by the guest list at this party. I'm just being honest. You gotta understand. Is everybody clear? The guest list was not, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but these are not, the guest list was not, shall we gather at the river? The guest list was, oh, my rowdy friends are coming over tonight. Very different. We would, some of us would be downright uneasy in this group. We would be uneasy. We would say things like, well, this is going to affect my witness. This is going to hurt. What will people do? Jesus, here's what I love. Is Jesus thrown off? Look at his posture. And is Jesus reclined (laughs) at table in the house? Behold, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. It, It seems that Jesus feels right at home. He is right at home teaching in the synagogue. He was right at home in the temple when he was 12. Remember that? Yeah, of course I'd be at my father's house. That's amazing to me. Jesus is right at home in the holiest place, the temple, and he is right at home among all these tax collectors and sinners because wherever Jesus is is the holy place. He brings the holy. He is the holy. It's incredible. He's right at home. Well, what about you? Will you set a table for your friends? I'll say it again. Some of your friends will not necessarily come to church not necessarily at first but if you invite them they will come to your house they will eat at your table they will come to your office you work with them Matthew threw a feast what could you do get creative for some of you you literally just do the same thing throw a feast because everybody's welcome at Matthew's table oh what a great what a great phrase Matthew's table maybe we do the same thing Well, the story ends with some party crashers. Look at verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Woo! Pharisees, religious leaders, right? They're all about the purity of their religion and being separated. And, and, and they had perverted that Old Testament thinking. The Old Testament thinking was good. When they added all their 
their stuff to the Bible, they, they, they thought being in contact with sinners is going to make me unclean. And so when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, which is grimy and cowardly, they won't go straight to Jesus. They go to like other people to talk about Jesus. Isn't that, well, Pharisees saw this. They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the key word here is eat, and there's a little bit of culture. Everybody remember, right? Remember in that day, dining together was no casual act. The Pharisees, the Pharisees would have had no problem if Jesus taught the sinners from the synagogue, and if the sinners wanted to get clean and come to the synagogue, they could come and hear the message like everybody else, and they would have no problem with that. Their problem was he was eating with them. And so when, when Jesus went and eat with, ate with them, that's when they got mad. Why? Here, here's the key sentence. The Pharisees objected when Jesus shared a meal with sinners because it seemed like Jesus was approving of their way of life. That's what it comes down to. Jesus accepted the sinners, and he befriended them, and he loved them. And so the Pharisees assumed that must mean he approves of everything they're doing. They were wrong. Jesus did not approve of their life. Look what he says. But just not approving of their life doesn't mean he doesn't love them. Verse 12, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, which is great. Right there, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, they're they're, they're sick. Yeah, it's bad. Yep. Jesus, do you know what these people are like? Yep. That's why I'm here. Can you imagine busting into an emergency room and telling the doctor, you have surrounded yourself with sick and injured people? Yeah. Jesus says, that's kind of my mission statement, isn't it? Maybe we've forgotten what's so simple and obvious that even the little children in here can understand that point. He doesn't deny they're sinners. He doesn't deny they're sick. He doesn't say, how dare you call these poor people sinners? No, he says, I'm a doctor. And what he does next is actually shots fired back. Remember, their their thing is, oh, you know, your teacher. Well, Jesus doesn't let the disciples, by the way, you notice, Jesus doesn't let the disciples answer. He cuts in and answers answers them himself. And he says, go and learn what this means. In other words, you guys are taught by the scribes who are supposed to be your authorities. Your scribes are supposed to know the Bible. Well, uh, uh, you need to go and learn what this means, as in you don't. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He quotes the scripture, Hosea Uh, also quoted in Isaiah, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's saying all the ceremony of your sanctimonious religion that's meant to point us to the love of God, somehow you've managed to miss the point in all this. Now, let's bring this close to home. Do we ever do the same thing? I wonder if in all our zeal to defend the orthodox truths of the faith, and especially as we see culture growing more and more hostile, we do a couple mistakes. One is we forget that we're aliens. That's the first thing. As a Christian, you are alien. You are a stranger in a strange land. No country's culture on this planet for all time and history is the kingdom of God. So no culture is ever perfectly going to align with kingdom values. You've forgotten that. You thought maybe they should, but you're an alien. Okay? And so as culture crowds in, we feel the need to defend orthodox truth. And, and, and we will always defend orthodox truth. But what that does is we get a little too nervous around the radical love of God. Francis Chan calls it the crazy love of God. So Jesus invites crazy people who invite all their crazy friends into God's crazy love. What makes God's love so crazy, so crazy amazing, so good? I think it's this. 
a lot of us tend to love others in one way or another, but Jesus does both perfectly. Here's what I mean. Jesus' love, follow me, Jesus' love is both an accepting love, he loves you right where you are, and a transforming love. It has the power to transform. Most of us <laughs> tend to appreciate one of those more than the other. Accepting love or transforming love. Jesus accepted the sinner before he transformed the sinner. Now, of course, Matthew's life was transformed, but not at first. First, Jesus put his love on Matthew. He accepted Matthew right where he was. We even have a hymn, just as I am. If we believe that, then why would we say, you must be transformed before God will accept you? Oh, first accepted, then transformed. Everybody, everybody, everybody on the planet, everybody is offended by the love of Jesus. Everybody. A little bit, in one way or another. Everybody. Here's what I mean. The lost world would say, how dare you talk about transforming love? How dare you talk about that anybody's lifestyle should ever be changed? It is offensive and sickening that Jesus straight up has no problem calling people sinners, and they're very offended by that. On the other hand, I wonder if the church is often more deeply offended by Jesus accepting love. Ooh, we get nervous when we talk about he loves everybody. If Christians become self-righteous and we're not careful, we will forget that God accepts us while we were still sinners. That does not mean he doesn't have an intent to transform us. But if all we care about is transforming people without really loving them, it's not love, it's judgment. The old preachers say it this way, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. <laughs> and that's true, but I wonder if sometimes we're too quick to add that second part before we let the first part really shock us. He loves us the way we are. He loves you right where you are. People are not projects. They're treasures. So how can the accepting love of God and the transforming love of God work together? That's the power of verse 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. To illustrate this point in closing, and to help any kids who've fallen asleep, to help any adults who've fallen asleep, I want to close by telling you the story of Ellie. And I asked permission if I could tell Ellie's story. Ellie had uh, some deep wounds, but she was loved right where she was. In fact, <clears throat> I brought Ellie, and uh, Ellie is short for elephant, and she is a recent souvenir. I asked Anna if I could use her precious Ellie, and um, Ellie was in a store, and Anna asked me if she could have just a little tiny stuffed animal. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we, uh, we exited, and we realized, you can't see it here. I know we have, we have the image magnification in the other service, but uh, Ellie had a big rip all the way down this seam, you know, fresh out of the store, right? And I thought, isn't it interesting that my nine-year-old daughter, who set her accepting love on Ellie, <laughs> uh, she had, uh, it, it never crossed her mind that she should give Ellie back because of this big rip. In fact, uh, um, uh, at, immediately, like as we're, we're, we're driving away from the mall, um, she uh, uh, thought, okay, I've got to get a plan. Dad, you know what we have to do? Like, what? We've got to call Nana. <laughs> like, you're right. This is a, nine, a Nana 1-1. One, one. 
And uh, at no point did she ever want to, she accepted, isn't that something? She accepted Ellie while Ellie was still ripped and broken. But she had a plan to transform Ellie. Not to discard her, but to transform her. Here's the point I want you to see. What if people saw the way Anna loved on Ellie in the time she got her to the time she could get her to Nana? What if somebody had said to her, what, so you just, you're just okay with ripped elephants? So you're just okay with ripped elephants. You don't think elephants have to change at all? Well, I'm sorry. They, you need to know. It needs to be changed. There needs to be transformation. I don't, I don't see how you can hang out with a bunch of ripped elephants like that. And if you go around telling people, you know God loves ripped elephants. Well, now you're just saying God's okay with everybody being ripped. Well, he's not. Whoa, whoa. The accepting love of God is on the center. Yes, there'll be time for transformation. But the point Matthew makes is that, yes, he, it, it's going to take some time. So what does a church do with somebody who's still in that messy middle? Love. Love like Jesus. Here's what Jesus did in that moment. He destroyed categories. All this time, I've been talking about the church. I've been talking about sinners. You realize what he's doing. When he says to the Pharisees, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. What he's saying is, I'm sorry. I'm not here for the righteous. That's people Jesus did not call. Can you imagine? Well, it's a good thing he didn't call the righteous. Because <laughs> if he came to call the righteous, there wouldn't be anybody to answer the phone, would there? The Pharisees divided the world into two categories, the righteous and the sinners. Jesus destroys their category. He says, nope, there's only one category. One category. One category of sinners. And there's one great Savior, Jesus. Same one for everybody. Simple. There's not two groups of people. There's not the good people and the bad people. The Pharisees divided the world. The sinners, the righteous. Jesus says there's none righteous. No, not one. And yeah, just because their addictions are different than your addictions, they're addicted to substances, you're addicted to self-righteousness. They're addicted to immorality, you're addicted to materialism. Whatever. There's only one group of people and one great physician, Jesus. The bad news is we all fall into the sinner category. The good news is God still saves sinners. Musician's going to come and lead us in a time of application. Just really two application questions. The first is, maybe do you identify with Matthew? This would be my first application question. Do you identify with Matthew? You know, when I was describing sinners who feel, feel far from God, when I was describing tax collectors, when I was describing the person who said, hey, you should come with me to church. Maybe you're watching this online and you go, yeah, that was actually my thought. They wouldn't want me there. I feel so far from God. If, 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 if you're here or you're watching this and you feel like Matthew, oh, listen to me. There is a gracious invitation to you today. Come follow me, Jesus said. Receive him. Receive his grace. He loves you. He's calling you right where you are. You say, yeah, but I, I, I don't have my stuff together. At, well, good. That's the only kind of people he calls. Well, I, 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 I've never been very religious. Well, neither was Matthew. But I'm still involved in my sin. You come follow Jesus. He'll put that accepting work on you, and little by little, it'll, that accepting love on you will become transforming love. It'll change you, but he'll do. He'll do the changing. You don't clean yourself up and go to God. You just go to God. Let him clean you up. If anybody feels like Matthew, my hunch is 
And if I can self-disclose here, the second application is more for me. Maybe you would have to identify as saying, honestly, I'm a lot more like those Pharisees than I care to admit. So is there a word for me? Yes, but you have a first step. The word for you is exactly the same as Matthew. There's a gracious invitation. Come and follow Jesus. Receive his grace. But for you, there's a first step. And the first step is you have to realize you're no different than Matthew. There's one gate. It's narrow. Jesus says, few find it. But the the ground, they say, the ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. Same grace. And you come through that same gate, the same one, the tax collector and the rebel and the sinner and the Pharisee. It's the only way. Jesus is the only way. But what that will do, oh, what that will do, that will keep you humble and happy to know, oh, to never get over your salvation. Maybe you just need to go back to that this morning. Go back to when you were lost and hopeless and helpless and he found you. That this would, oh, this, this, this church. I don't, I don't necessarily mean people coming and inviting, but going out and spreading Matthew's table until everybody understands God's love is available to them. He loves you. Let's pray together. Oh God, grant that we would be your, as the song says, crazy people who would invite all our crazy friends, unlikely people inviting unlikely friends to your unlikely, surprising, crazy, amazing love. Thank you for grace that's poured out on sinners who don't deserve it. It's what grace is. We can't deserve it. Thank you, O oh Lord, for that. And we ask you, O oh God, if there's anybody who feels far from you today, today would be the day of their salvation. And if there's anybody who feels far from you as a, a Pharisee or guilty of uh, judgment, that today would be the day they lay that down and return to the joy of your salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet for our invitation? I hope it's clear. You can come and pray. We can be broken at the altar. You can pray right where you are. We have a minister here. If you, if you want to pray with Pastor Scott, you come pray. You do as God leads. This is God's time. Chuck. Sing together. This is my desire.
chorus again. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm aware. 